Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hello and welcome to No Accounting for Taste. I'm Richard Hattersley and I'm joined this week by an Accountant Excellence Award winner where we're going to be talking furlough, well-being and of course Brexit. Joining me this week, we are delighted to welcome back Ray Newman, the Head of Content at Practice Web. Hi, Ray. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Glad to be here as always. And I teased at the top of the program that we're joined this week by an Accountant Excellence Award winner. And of course, we're glad to welcome to the podcast Sarah Salas from the Accountancy Office, or as she's now known, Sole Practitioner of the Year. Hi, Sarah. (laughs) Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for inviting me. So, Sarah, the best place to start then is to talk about your fantastic win. It was at the Accountant Excellence Awards night uh, a a few weeks back, um, and you picked up the sole practitioner of the the year gone. Congratulations. What was it like uh, when you heard your name announced? Thank you very much. Um, a shock, to be honest, is I think I think we we always say that when we um, enter these awards, um, you know, and it, it's quite cliche, but gen- genuinely, it was um, a shock. I mean, for me to be shortlisted was um, just yeah amazing. So to actually win um, was was just beyond words, really. So I, I was somewhat um, shell shocked, to say the least. And you picked up the client's client service uh, award a couple of years back as well. And I think what's clear from your award winning entry is that client service is what you're famous for. It's what you've built your firm around. And it's kind of clear that that is what separates you from a lot of other firms. What were some of the, the key things which, which you feel you, um, that you bring to client service? I think because we're um, obviously a small firm, we speak to our clients personally. So, you know, myself, even though obviously I'm the the main driver behind the firm, I'm still speaking to the clients daily. Um, I'm still a a key point, um, a, a contact point for a majority of our clients. So for us, I think customer services has always been there for us right from the very beginning because of how the business has evolved. Um, right from the start, I've always been at the very heart of it um, and I still am now. So I think the fact that we have regular conversations with our clients and they are very much one-to-one conversations and that we know them all as individuals as well as businesses really helps us to be able to provide that greater level of service and our clients are always very forthcoming as well because we've got that rapport and that relationship so if ever they've got any questions they don't hesitate to you know pick up the phone send us an email or whatever so I think that's where customer service it's evolved naturally from being a small practice that we've really sort of thrown ourselves into it um and that's relatively easy to do when you're a smaller firm, I think. And you've also rolled out a number of new initiatives as well, such as uh, training events, hosting HR and employment law seminars. And uh, another thing which jumped out at me, a couple of things, is dropping. You, you, you've done drop-in sessions, which probably might be a little bit difficult in this current climate. 
and also business health reviews. Could you talk us through some of these initiatives and, and what these mean for your practice? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've done regular drop-in sessions um, where, you know, clients are welcome to pop in at any time. And also that's open for um, prospects. Obviously, as you say, these current times, it's not something we, we can actively do. But in the past, that's what, what we have done. We've made ourselves available, even if it's for two-hour slots. So people don't feel the need to make an appointment. They can just drop in uh, and see us with any sort of, you know, queries, problems or questions they might have or if they just want to chat about things. Um, and we've also obviously held various sort of seminars. I mean, we do, we used to do those more regularly. Obviously, we haven't done any this year. Anything we have done has obviously been done uh, remotely, but we have had uh, various seminars in, in the past, which have, it, the subjects will vary depending on what's topical at that time. We've obviously done, you know, um, product demonstrations, you know, zero receipt bank, that sort of thing. We've done um, the hate the HR ones, just general sort of HR employment legislation, because that's often quite a key topic for for um, businesses, but they don't really associate their accountant as to being able to help with that. Um, and obviously, you know, HR um, and employment legislation has certainly been a huge topic this year. So, yeah, we regularly do have um, drop-ins, seminars, and we've tried to do those sort of events over the past years because, again, it just helps develop that relationship with, with clients. And I think that um, it just makes it more open and inviting. And I think sometimes for clients, they might have these questions or, you know, queries, but they don't really think that they're worth asking us or they might think about them, but then don't actually get round to asking us. Um, and so we have found with these drop-in sessions, people think, oh, I just go go in you know pop in say hello and then as a result of that you know we've had had discussions so um i find that they are really useful again just for um developing you know the client relationships and it's also clear that you were kind of ahead of the curve when it came to the impact of the coronavirus and you introduced a business continuity planning service which um i think perhaps more people have embraced over the last few months but it's something which you did right at the very start if not several weeks before the impact became known to the whole profession could you talk us through what this continuity planning was this service and how this helped the health of your clients yeah absolutely I think obviously as events started to um, unfold it was clear that to most um, of our clients that the initial reaction was panic uh, because people, I mean, none of us have ever really sort of faced this sort of um, challenge before. So um, it, it was that general feeling of panic. Um, so we um, set up these continuity sessions and again, it helps because we work so clo close with our clients anyway, and because obviously we work with real-time data, such as, you know, the main sort of uh, products, we've instantly got information at our fingertips, which we can then utilize and transform that into some sort of planning with our clients. So we um, arranged... Um, via Zoom, sort of, you know, an initial sessions, first of all, just to try and gauge what people were worried about. Was it um, cash? Was it just the general impact on their the business, um, the impact on them personally and, and their families? And then once we'd sort of done that sort of information gathering exercise, we could then 
arrange a session um, with them and try and get to the bottom of those problems and how we could try and help support them with solutions. Cash flow planning was obviously a huge one. Um, that that was, I think, probably at the forefront of everybody's concerns right from the, the very start. Um, so that was a there, there was a big focus on that. And again, um, we provide obviously a full finance function to our sort of core clients. So we will do daily bookkeeping, we do management accounts, you know, year year end accounts. And for those clients that we were preparing management accounts for anyway, whose data we've literally got as our at our fingertips, as I said. It was a relatively quick and responsive exercise to suddenly pull all of that data and turn it into something meaningful for them so that we could then say, OK, well, this is your current position um, and let's put in a couple of different scenarios. So, you know, if this happens, where are we going to be in three months time? You know, if, it do if this doesn't happen, what's going to be the impact? And that's what we sort of looked at sort of three month periods um, and worked from there. And I think it helped people because I say it's that initial fear, the initial panic. But quite often, if you've got somebody with you who can actually talk you through things so that you understand them and you can actually see light at the end of the tunnel, um, I think that's what's you know, really helped a lot of clients is that having that financial clarity. Very interesting. Well, thank you, Sarah, for pulling back the curtain on the accountancy office and um, letting us in on some of those top tips. And we might find out a little bit more about your firm throughout the rest of the podcast when we look at the top five stories hitting the web over the past seven days. So let's crack into those headlines. We start at number five. The fifth most read story was a braceful Brexit story. It was um, a story where we looked at some of the most pressing questions put to our uh, uh, indirect tax experts, Neil Warren and Jason Croak. But I think this the, the, the discussion I'd quite like to have on this one is just, just in general, preparation of uh, businesses out there for the looming uh, post-transition period. It's fast approaching. At the time of recording, we still don't know whether there is a deal or no deal, which adds more uncertainty for many businesses out there. So, Ray, what's, what's your impression on this? What was your sense and feeling? So I think the thing that's interesting about the, the sort of the resurgence of Brexit is that because we've all been so obsessed with obviously COVID-19 for obvious reasons all year, um, I just think a lot of us not quite forgot about it, but I, I guess hoped that then by the time we came to think about it again, um, some things might have been resolved. And of course, um, we've we've dropped back into the Brexit discussion uh, and we're more or less back at square one. No, nothing is certain. Everything feels very up in the air. Um, and the guidance from the government at the moment, there's the, the some bits of it, you know, people know what they've got to do and it's really clear. Uh, other bits, it just feels like we're still waiting. Um, and I think, you know, uh, jumping ahead a bit to one of the other things I know we're going to talk about, the pressure that puts accountants under, they're still answering questions about COVID-19 government support and they're starting to get questions about Brexit. And the answer to some of it is we're not sure. It depends. We'll have to wait and see. And, you know, we are talking a matter of weeks before um, before the end of the transition period. So it, it just feels, you know, another one of those things that must be really frustrating for people in the industry to have so little certainty at this point, really. It, even if the certainty was the was, was sort of bad news, no deal, at least if we'd had that a couple of months ago, people would have been able to prepare for it and there would be clear guidance in place. But at the moment, you know, it's all, everything is still to play for is the official story. So, so yeah, there's just a complete lack of certainty. 
Sarah, um, before in this podcast, I think last week Ray mentioned about these 11th hour changes which come in and, and cause extra trouble for the accountant. Is that the case with Brexit? Are you, have your clients been directly affected? Um, a lot of our clients actually um, aren't going to be directly affected. Um, and that's probably <laughs> a, a blessing for us in some ways, I suppose, mainly because um, the majority of our clients are um, UK sort of service based um, industries. So we don't have any clients who are actually heavily involved with exporting and importing and, and all that side of things. And I think the only impact um, for the majority of our clients is the whole issue around um, overseas expenses and, and VAT, VAT refunds um, relating to those. I think there has been um, some general confusion with a lot of people because, um, well, of, of our clients, because a lot, lot of them have sort of had this great big fear about Brexit and is it going to impact us? Is it going to change what we're doing? But, um, you know, as we've already said, at this moment in time, we still don't know what the overall impact of that is going to be. And I think everybody's been so consumed with obviously the whole impact of uh, coronavirus and, and furlough that people have actually thought, you know what, Brexit, we can deal with whatever's thrown at us. So um, for us, it has sort of not really been at the forefront of our clients' minds. Um, and those who have addressed it, really, the sort of issues have only been around um, expenses. Um, but that's you know, due to the nature of our client base, really. Well, Sarah, it's a good. It's good that you've uh, you've managed Brexit. It's not going to be a direct. Uh, it's not, not going to directly impact your clients. But one thing that you've not been able to escape, I'm sure, is the uh, the cavalcade of uh, guidance and coronavirus advice, which we've all had to um, get our heads around over the last couple of months. That leads us nicely on to our fourth red, most read story where Accountant Web's resident agony uncle uh, supports an accountant who is weeks behind on their compliance work and is already dreading January. Um, the, the person in question who wrote this letter to our agony uncle, Nick Elston, um, he started off by saying, is anyone else exhausted? Um, Sarah, is that something which rings true for you? Are you are you uh, glad that it's coming to the end of the year and you can have a, a well-deserved break before January? Yes, absolutely. I can relate to that most certainly. It has been a really challenging year for everybody. Um, and obviously for my personal um, experiences, being um, a sole, sole practitioner, um, the problem you've got is that ultimately everything falls to you. So um, I can totally em emphasise with the ever-changing guidance that we've, you know, had to um, address and, you know, trying to actually interpret that. It, it's been hugely challenging. And of course, we've had the day job to deal with as well. Um, as everybody knows, we're coming obviously to the height of the um, tax return season where we're getting to that time of year where we will always get those sort of uh, late tax returns piling on top of us. Um, we're quite fortunate in that we have an internal deadline for our tax return work and we've achieved 75% of those tax returns now anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I can certainly relate. It has been an exhausting year all, all round. I've never worked so many hours um, this year. Um, well, I've worked more hours this year than what I ever have done before. So yeah, I, I can certainly relate and I'm definitely looking forward to that, that um, sort of break at, at Christmas for sure. So Sarah, you said there that you're around about where you should be with your um, with your tax returns. 
Yeah. Was there a point this year where you were kind of worried and, and dreading January or did or, or, or were your clients a little bit more proactive and used that period of lockdown to get ahead of the game? Yeah, some of them did. And in fact, um, during the beginning of lockdown, we did actually suggest to our clients that now might be a good time um, to actually start looking at obviously your accounts and, and tax returns. Um, and some of them did actually do that. Um, but we still do have the, the the normal sort of latecomers to the party, shall, shall we say. Um, but um, I do work, you know, practically throughout out the year. And I think, again, that's why everything has been so challenging because as well as the additional work created um, as a result of coronavirus, we have still maintained our normal standards of the day job. So um, the tax returns are still on target, but it has meant that, you know, we've had to work hard to achieve that. So we haven't let anything slide. Um, and that's why I think, you know, I can sort of relate to that feeling of um, exhaustion because it has been a, a really sort of long year in that respect. So Ray, Sarah, she's a, a sole practitioner. A lot of the um, workload has fallen on her. And that's a story which we are seeing across the profession. And Sarah, she did um, make a point of trying to drive tax returns early, but not everyone um, had as uh, uh, clients who were, uh, who were uh, responding as well as uh, perhaps Sarah's did. So it is a point where it's unsurprising that many are exhausted at this time of year. Yeah, I, I think there's something quite interesting in the, sort of the general conversation about this year is that you hear people saying, oh, it's it's so difficult for um, accountants and other people saying, well, actually, it's really difficult for SMEs and oh, it's really difficult for people who are in who are, are furloughed. And uh, well, actually, it's very difficult for people who are in work under uh, enormous amounts of pressure. And actually, I think the underlying point is this year is difficult for almost everyone. Um, and I think it's probably it's probably quite easy for people to assume the grass is greener elsewhere. You know, I wish I'd been furloughed for several months and put my feet up and people who are furloughed feeling all that anxiety and stress. So I guess I think this is an example of that where um, where, yeah, accountants are un, under an enormous amount of pressure, but a lot of their clients are also under a, a additional pressure, too, and perhaps not, you know, not in a position to be any more organized than they normally are and possibly uh, possibly less so. So, yeah, I just think difficult year all round, really. Well, let's move on to our next article. And this is the first of a series of pieces on the counter web around the garden office. So Helen Thornley from the um, the ATT uh, tackles the tax matters and other practical issues that may arise when a business operates from a pod building in the garden. Now, we can sp um, rather than spend a moment looking at the intricacies of this, it really actually um, is a piece about how um, how life has perhaps changed and clients are perhaps looking for different advice as as uh, remote working becomes more of an option for many businesses going forward. Sarah, have you had many clients come to you with um, asking about a garden office or just asking about different things which ordinarily wouldn't have had um, any other year? Uh, which has been accelerated by this uh, damn virus that we've had. Yes, I think it's certainly a sign of, of the times, isn't it, really? Um, I have had a couple of uh, clients um, 
making sort of initial inquiries because they obviously are now working from home and uh, perhaps the the setup the the situation at home isn't ideal if they've got pets and children <laughs> running around causing havoc so yeah a couple of people have sort of uh, approached us what if i convert my garage what if i put a garden building at the bottom of of the garden so um yes there has been quite um, a lot of interest around the whole what other expenses can I now claim for now that I'm working from home 100% of the time? Um, and the majority of the clients are, have been quite fortunate, I think, and they have been able to adapt quite quickly. They've had a dedicated area within the home that they've been able to quickly set up the desk and the laptops with, without too, too much um, trouble. And I think, um, obviously, going back to when this all you know started, that um, they saw it as very much a sort of interim temporary solution. Um, so, you know, having a, a desk in the corner of the dining room was absolutely fine. But now, because obviously, we're sort of several months in, and it looks as if many people are still going to keep that sort of remote working in place that I think now people are thinking okay well this did work for you know a few months but if I'm going to make it a permanent arrangement let's see if, if I can sort of improve my my working environment. And and Ray how about you is this how, how did this article chime with you is, is it a are you not surprised that this is a sign of the times and people are now moving to this remote working setup? Oh, absolutely not. I think one of the things, key things that's come across this year is this idea of, um, I mean, it seemed a bit like a panic response earlier in the year, but this idea that people are, are sort of leaving cities and looking to move to the country. And, and I've certainly from talking to friends and people I was at university with and so on, I've heard people saying that um, they're struggling to sell flats in London and struggling to buy places in the West Country because there's this sort of exodus from big cities because people have realised, not because they're desperately... Um, unsafe or uncomfortable in the city but just because if you can work from home and maybe go to the office a couple of days a week as I think a lot of people expect to be able to do um next year there'll be a lot more homeworking that suddenly this right so what's my setup at home and and yeah this this kind of arrangement where people have a for, more formal office at home something that's actually set up to facilitate decent kind of work a work decent workspace I can see that becoming uh, increasingly common and yeah of course it does complicate the, the tax situation because um you know that, that traditionally that advice you sort of hear which is um use a spare room in your house but make sure there's an exercise bike in there uh so that it's not solely used as an office space and so on i mean that's going to be that that is not going to be ideal for people who want to actually do a professional job maybe three or four days a week from this home office uh sarah have you um have you decided to build a garden office at the bottom of your um <laughs> down by your hedges and replace your shed or, or am i right in thinking that you've you've your remote worker anyway yes that's right i've um, we, we have had um office space but i've always been a remote worker wherever possible i've attended the office for um meetings um staff training that sort of thing um but yeah i've i've always adapted to remote working you know, 11 years ago when I first started the business and whether perhaps that's um, why it is now now my preference. Um, so for me, remote working is something that I enjoy anyway. I find I'm far more productive um, when I'm actually working from home. There's less distractions, um, but I haven't had to have a, um, a, a garden office as such because I am fortunate that I do actually have um, dedicated office space at home anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, 
it is definitely um, a sign of, of the times and um, we are um, we adapted quite quickly to remote working because we're cloud based it was no big um, issue for us really to work from home um, and that's what we've continued to do throughout we're no longer work well currently we're not working from office space we are working remotely uh, although that will probably change in the new year because we do have a new client manager coming on board and obviously she's going to need quite a lot, lot of, of training um, so we probably will be going into office space in the new year um, but remote remote working will always be there for us most definitely and this comes across clear if, if we reflect back briefly, Sarah, to your um, your award-winning uh, entry for the Accounting Excellence Awards, where you mentioned that um, your clients received regular phone and Zoom calls during your onboarding process, and there'd be videos there to accompany the onboarding process. So you were really using Zoom and a lot of these techniques before they before they moved into the mainstream. You were you were there. Um, making full use of all this yeah definitely um i think obviously um a lot of the technology now has just become commonplace um you know 12 months ago if we were to suggest a zoom meeting for a client who perhaps lived two miles down the road they would have probably been quite surprised by that suggestion but now um obviously i haven't had a face-to-face -face meeting for months all of our, our meetings have been done via, via zoom um everybody's now familiar with, with zoom and teams um even you know we've got sort of a uh, elderly relatives and even they're using it so the sort of technology that we were using you know years ago um and certainly before this this crisis is now very much commonplace Interesting stuff. Well, let's move on to our next article. This is the second most read uh, piece on Accounting Web, um, where uh, two taxpayers appealed against late filing penalties on the basis they had relied on their accountant. But the tribunal also found that special circumstances applied. So the reliance on accountant was a reasonable excuse this time. Um, it's, it's an ongoing debate, this one, isn't it? It's, we, we've seen this one come up quite often over the last few years. Ray, have you, have you had a chance to read the story? Have you got any thoughts on on what we've seen? Yeah, th th this is interesting just because, I mean, obviously this is, you know, very sort of heavy legal legal precedent stuff, but you, I've seen lots of other interesting examples of where people, um, their expectations of what their accountants will do on their behalf from, I know it's kind of a standing joke, but clients who say to their accountants, oh, I'd assumed my fee to you covered my tax bill um, or, you know, I, I'd assumed you would actually be, um, uh, I'd assumed zero would magically submit my tax return. I didn't know I actually had to do anything after I'd entered, entered the information into zero. So this general sort of confusion about who is responsible ultimately for um, for, hand, for, the, for the ownership of a tax return. And, you know, I, I think the, the key word to me would obviously seem to be self-assessment, that you are responsible for it ultimately, um, whether that's through... Um, hiring an accountant to actually do the work for you or looking after it yourself you, but but you know when you get a case like this that gets into the real nitty-gritty of it obviously I, I can see that if I was an accountant this would make me slightly nervous I think that um that, you know I might find myself liable for uh, for things that, that in the past would clearly have been um, something that was a, a question for the client to to worry about rather than the accountant. Sarah have you um had an opportunity to read this um reasonable excuse is something which is uh, come up quite often, hasn't it, as a uh, uh, around whether an accountant is um, reliance on an accountant is 
deemed a reasonable excuse. What's your thoughts? Yes, I did um, read the article, actually. I found it quite interesting because, obviously, um, the taxpayers concerned argued, you know, their reasonable excuses and the fact that their accountants hadn't reminded them um, to complete the tax return. And obviously um, that wasn't granted as a reasonable excuse, which you would expect, really, because the taxpayer has responsibility for, you know, themselves for ensuring their tax returns are com- completed. So, um I think, you know, often accountants are held accountable for um, individuals' tax returns because a lot of clients think, well, you know, that's my accountant's job. That's what I pay them for. And they don't actually realise there's that huge element of personal, you know, responsibility there as well. But obviously, um, I was actually quite surprised that um, the other element of the uh, reasonable excuse was actually... um, upheld because obviously they had supplied the information to the accountant and then obviously the accountant had you know personal circumstances which obviously then delayed his ability to complete the tax return um, and those, those penalties were um, eliminated the fact that the, the the returns were actually even later but I, I did find that element quite um, interesting. Indeed. Well, let's move on now to our most read story of the week. Uh, No surprises again. Furlough is back in the headlines and is back in number one position for regular listeners of the No Accounting for Taste podcast. So this one is news that employers face a dilemma of whether to furlough employees employees or risk adverse publicity as new measures to name recipients come into force. Now, this is something which I think we mentioned on a previous edition of this podcast Um, but it's very interesting now to see that December this has come in and there's a lot of debate over over this. Ray what was your feelings about publishing details of of um, of employers who furlough employees? I, I can see I mean this I think would probably you call this an example of populism I can see where the thinking for this comes from, which is that right from the very start, there's been this pressure on people to, on on companies rather than people to um, forego government support if they don't feel they need it to sort of, you know, be big about it and and say, actually, we can cope without it. And, And in return, what they get is a bit of sort of warm PR boost around that. So you've seen supermarkets and people like that saying, we don't need the support. Uh, And equally the opposite, that sort of, um, the, the 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 shaming that comes with people claiming support they don't really need or, or or you know even before you get to the point of whether they've committed fraud or not if you can see a a local business that seems to be booming and has actually done quite well this year because I don't know they they specialize in deliver home delivery or something like that and then you can you hear that they've also been um, furloughing staff or, um, or or claiming other support that you know it might make it might just cause a bit of a PR problem for them so it's just that little extra nudged on those organisations to think really hard about whether they actually need the support rather than as we might perhaps have heard people say in the past, well, you might as well. Um, that's the thinking I think the government wants to challenge. But, you know, it's an interesting precedent, the idea that you would you would insist on that level of transparency around people's access to, to government support. Because just, my, you know, my final thought on that really would be that there might be businesses that that part of their business model is a sort of feel good factor and a certain positivity and they might not necessarily want their clients to know that they're claiming support or that they've been struggling so i think there's there's some difficult stuff to sort of um, to work out around this really that, that goes a little bit deeper than just you know the, the sense that the the public is, is a bit nosy and likes to know what's going on and that, and that likes to wag its finger and tut at businesses really 
Yeah, there, there's been a few comments which sort of um, uh, echo what you were saying there, Ray. Um, and uh, we've also got other comments such as John Jenkins, who says that this is obviously a scare tactic to lower future claims. Um, others say, will this affect company credit rate? Um, and others are saying that um, that it's a complete waste of time. HMRC has more pressing matters to be dealing with. Um, Sarah, what have you found with this one? Furlough is a, a big thing. And it's helped many businesses to survive that initial moment of the pandemic and through this period of uncertainty as well. And many businesses are forced to close as well because of their their restrictions in whatever part of the country they may be in. And so it's a requirement. Uh, but is, is, do you think this is going to make some of your clients more reticent to uh, make their employees um, furloughed just because of the, uh, the, the publicity that it may create? No, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, from, from my perspective and, you know, our clients in particular, um, and I'd like to think elsewhere as well, that people who are uh, claiming furlough have a genuine need um, to claim furlough. Um, obviously, I know, you know, the, the whole sort of uh, theory behind um, this move is that it's going to um, deter fraud. But I don't think that... Um, it will have too much of an impact on our clients because ultimately they have genuine reasons to claim that furlough. We have businesses which have been forced to close and therefore furlough is still very much a lifeline for them. And um, because of the, you know, the, the nature of this sort of um, pandemic, you know, we're all in really difficult times. So people will, um, well, our clients in particular, I think will still just continue to claim whilst they are a able to do so. I don't think the thought of um, any adverse publicity will worry them too much when they've got a genuine need to claim and in order for that, that lifeline to keep their, their business afloat. So I don't think for those who are genuinely claiming, um, I don't think it will actually um, deter them from doing that. Um, the thought of perhaps publicity may sit um, uncomfortably with some because I have heard, you know, other people comment, well, potentially with a few calculations, um, people can actually work out how much, you know, employees are, are working, especially when, you know, it's a very small firm and there might be only one or two employees. But um, from our point of view, our clients who have been forced to close will most definitely um, still need that furlough um, to in order to, you know, maintain their business. So I don't think the fact that their um, business name will, will be published as claiming furlough will um, prevent them from doing that. Thank you very much, Sarah, and thank you, Ray. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Ray, where can we find out a little bit more about yourself or practice web? Uh, to uh, read my advice on marketing and content marketing for accountants, uh, if you go to um, practiceweb.co.uk forward slash knowledge. Uh, and also, um, I'm always excited and interested to connect with accountants on LinkedIn, and you can find me at Ray dash newman dash writer on linkedin uh, and you'll see the practice web branding all over my uh, my profile there as well thank you very much ray and sarah where can our viewers find out more about yourself or even your accountant excellence award winning practice I think the website would be the best place to start which is uh, accountancyoffice.co.uk wonderful well thank you ray thank you for sarah for joining us and thank you everyone for listening
If you want more information about Accounting Web, you can, of course, find us on accountingweb.co.uk. Next time on the podcast, we'll be reflecting back on the year. So I'm sure there may furlough may come up again then. I have a sneaky suspicion it will. But until then, thank you, everyone. Um, I've been Richard Hatsley. Bye for now. <laughs>